Bibles uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're going through a study of this incredible book. Uh, it covers about 110 years. It covers the personalities, the, the lives of Samuel, of uh, the first king of Israel, Saul, and then it begins to cover some of the life of David before he becomes king. And our theme verse for this study is 1 Samuel 13, 14, where God says that he has sought out a man after his own heart. And that man, of course, is David. But what we're learning through this series is how we can become people after God's own heart as well. And we're learning how to become people after God's heart by studying what would really be called a, a group of case studies related to the Old Testament church. Case studies that follow them in the rise and fall of their faith, sort of their spiritual failures and successes. We're reminded that we too have a faith that ebbs and flows. We too have rises and falls in our walk with God. And this morning, we're going to look at a particular case study where Israel, by God's grace, is turned from a period of spiritual decay and they're going to arise, by God's grace, to spiritual renewal. We're going to learn real quick in the text that Samuel, the prophet, the spiritual leader, has been off stage for 20 years. Not because he didn't want to be on stage, but because Israel refused to turn to him. Now, by God's grace, they're finally turning back. You see, the problem is in our own lives, as the old hymn says, Come thou fount of, of every blessing. We are prone to wander. By the way, the guy who wrote that hymn, he was 22 when he wrote it. His name was Robert Robinson, and he was indeed prone to wander. Uh, John Newton, the, the, the famous slave trader that, that became a pastor, uh, and especially a pastor to William Wilberforce, who was used in British Parliament to outlaw the slave trade, John Newton said that at the end of uh, Robert Robinson's life, he maybe uh, turned more people away from the faith than toward the faith. Uh, this guy who wrote this great hymn, Struggled. But he knew about his struggle. He knew he was prone to wander. So in the same hymn, he also says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Now, when we sing that hymn, do you ever wonder what in the world that means? Have you looked it up? Okay, it's from the passage we're about to look at. Here I raised mine Ebenezer. It was in the video we just saw. And it means hither, uh, up until now, up until this point, up until this place, God has helped us. And so, prone to wander by our brokenness, our fallenness, and sin, but then God, by His grace, swoops in to help us, 
to lead us to a place of spiritual renewal so that we increasingly become, by His Spirit, by His mercy, people after His own heart. So we're going to look at how God brings us to renewal and revival this morning. Do you need that? I do. Do you want it? I do. Let's see what he has to say. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 12. This is God's Word. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Aminadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So from chapter 4 till right now, Samuel's been off stage, and it's been a time of spiritual chaos. But now look what happens. Verse 3, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For, he said, till now the Lord has helped us. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know that if renewal is going to come to our lives, it's going to come by his grace as he helps us. Let's pray. God, every one of us here this morning needs to know you're for us. Every one of us here today needs to know that you are there to help us. And God, every one of us here today knows we need help. And so, Lord, if 
If there's anybody here that doesn't know they need help, Lord, they need more help than all of us. God, would you open our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would you soften our hearts? And Holy Spirit, would you come? Do a work of revival and renewal in us, even now, this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I'm going to give you, if you will, five preconditions of renewal. Now, these are preconditions, but they're conditions that God brings about. These are conditions of grace that God brings about to bring renewal to our lives. And I'm going to give them to you in the form of imperatives. They're commands with an exclamation point. But remember, they're enabled by God's grace. First of all, gather. Look at verse 5. Samuel says, gather at Mizpah. Now, by the way, Mizpah is about seven and a half miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, So it's very close uh, to the holy city. Gather at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And then verse 6, so they gathered. The gathering place of the Old Testament church, when God did very unique works of grace among them, was a place called Mizpah. And what we find in this text is that if God is going to bring personal revival, he does it in a corporate context. How many times has this group of people heard me say what I'm about to say? I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it a lot more times in the future. The Christian life, contrary to American evangelicalism belief, the Christian life is primarily corporate. It is only peripherally and secondarily individualistic. When God works, he works through a community. He works through people gathered. And this entire passage is filled with the emphasis on the body of Christ, the corporate church. If you look at verses 2 and 3, twice we read these words, all the house of Israel. Verse 2, all the house of Israel lamented before the Lord. Verse 3, all the house of Israel Samuel spoke to. Throughout the entire chapter, even every time you see the word you, it never means you as an individual, ever. Here's how the South would say it, all of y'all. Here's how they say it in Northern Ireland, all yous. Okay, it's talking about the plural, all of us together as a community. Now, why? Why is it so important to God that his people gather? There's a great foundational, theological, biblical reason. Because he's the Trinitarian God. God has forever existed in three persons. And they've been in eternal relationship and community. They've always been gathered as one. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. And all those permutations. And part of what it means to be created in the image of God, part of what it means to be an image bearer, is that we have been created and redeemed for communal life. We cannot gain a heart after God's heart in isolation. It will not happen. And we can lose a heart after God's own heart 
in isolation. But the good news is God can rekindle and renew a heart after his heart as we gather together in community. How high of a priority is gathering with God's people in your life? When God tends to renew his people, he will always do it in the context of community. Jesus, when he was on the earth, said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. The spirit of Jesus is most present when the people of Jesus are gathered together. That only makes sense. Each one of us has a little tiny piece of Jesus' heart in us. And it takes all of us. It takes all y'all coming together to reflect and reveal and represent the whole heart of Jesus. So you want to experience renewal? What's your CQ? What's your community quotient? If you show up and worship irregularly, then make it your goal to show up and worship more regularly. If you only show up to worship, then make it your goal to go to worship plus a small group, a life group. Get involved in discipleship. If you're involved in worship and life group, then make it your goal to get involved in a service group, a ministry team, doing something together in mission. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.4, when you are assembled or gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus, the power of Jesus is present. Do you believe that? I, I can't convince you of this. I'm just trying to offer you God's truth. But God's word clearly says when God's people gather together, even two or three of us, the power and presence of Jesus is there to renew. You take a log off a fire and it goes out in isolation. You put logs together and it burns hotter and it burns brighter. And that's what happens with renewal as well. Gather. Secondly, turn. Look at verse 3. Put away from you the foreign gods and asterisks from among you. Now the word put away literally in the Hebrew means turn. The word is turn. Put away or turn away from the foreign gods. Turn away from the idols of our hearts. Part of renewal is repentance, and part of repentance is turning from idolatry. Now, look, I understand we're sophisticated people, and we don't have little wooden idols or little idols of ivory or gold in our homes that we bow down to. But make no mistake, that's not really what an idol is. Let me tell you what an idol is. An idol is anything you look to in hope to make life work or make life meaningful apart from Christ. I'll say it again. An idol is anything you look to in hope to make life work or to make life meaningful apart from Christ. Now, if you're listening carefully, you'll notice that that could be all kinds of good things. 
doesn't have to be what we would normally term ungodly things. And so look what the people did in verse 4. The people of Israel put away Hebrew. They turned from the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. Now, it might help us to understand what are the Baals and the Ashtaroths. Well, Israel was an agricultural society. So everything depended on the state of the crops and everything depended on the state of the herds. Baal and Ashtaroth were fertility gods and goddesses. And so the culture looked to these fertility gods to make the herds fruitful and to make the crops come to full harvest. And part of the worship of these cultural idols involved engaging in acts of fertility that, of course, would please the first fertility gods. So there was all kinds of immorality that Israel had bought into when they turned to these cultural gods. So now the question for us is, what are the cultural gods that we're tempted to turn to in order to try to find the feeling or the experience that our lives are going to work, that our lives are going to be okay, that our lives are going to have meaning? Well, in some ways, they're the same idols. Money, sex, power, control, pain avoidance, self-medication. These are all idols of the heart. Things we're looking to to make life work, to make life meaningful apart from Christ. And Samuel reminds us, this passage reminds us that we need to decisively turn from those idols. We need to renounce them. We need to repent of them. Again, look at verse 6. We have sinned. By the way, notice it was corporate repentance. Sometimes we need the strength. No. We always need the safety and strength of community that God uses to give us the strength and the desire to turn from our sin. Anybody know what this past Wednesday was? It was Yom Kippur, one of the most holy days, perhaps the most holy day of the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement. That's what Yom Day Kippur Atonement, the Day of Atonement. And it was the one day where the high priest would go into the temple, uh, into the Holy of Holies, the one day, and make an offering for the sins of the people. Well, they don't have a temple anymore, so they've developed other kinds of practices. Around 200 A.D., the Jews began to engage in a practice that for millennia beforehand they hadn't practiced. They read a certain portion of Scripture they never read before. Around 200 A.D., the Jews on the Day of Atonement, on the afternoon of the Day of Atonement, began to read the book of Jonah. Why? Well, because Jonah involves an unrepentant Jew and a bunch of repentant Gentiles, pagans, unbelievers. And the Jews have begun to read Jonah on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, because it provides for them a model of what God wants to see in their lives. Repentance. They had been out-repented by a bunch of previously unrepentant unbelievers. 
And they hope in reading Jonah that they will be stirred to turn from idols. Well, we not only have the book of Jonah, we have 1 Samuel chapter 7, where the Israelites as a corporate community turned from their idols. Gather, turn. Thirdly, return. We don't just turn from idols. we got to turn somewhere. If we're, not, if we're not depending on cultural idols, what are we turning to? Well, we return to the Lord. Look at verse 3. Samuel said, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. Now, what's interesting is the Hebrew doesn't follow this word order. The Hebrew text says this, if with all your heart you are returning to the Lord. you see the difference there? If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, the emphasis is sort of on returning. But in the Hebrew, it's if with all your heart you're returning. The emphasis is on the whole heart. In verse 6, the people said we have sinned. In verse 2, it said they were lamenting. Emotion is part of repentance, but emotion isn't our whole heart. Remember, we're talking about if we're going to be people after God's whole heart, we need to understand what God's whole heart is. And God's whole heart is that God thinks, God feels, God desires, and God chooses. And part of what it means to be an image bearer is that we think, we feel, we desire, and we choose. And so to, with our whole heart turn or return to the Lord means that we direct our thoughts to His thoughts, our emotions to His emotions, our desires to His desires, and our choices to His choices. So it says in verse 3, direct your heart to the Lord. Fasten your heart to God's heart in all four of those areas. Latch on to God's heart. Velcro yourself to the heart of God. God's heart has the soft part of the, of the loops and, and our hearts that are so often hard, we're the hard parts of the hoops and we gotta splat ourselves onto God's heart. That's what the word means. Direct your heart, splat your heart, fasten your heart, latch on your heart to the Lord. What God's saying here is come home. That's what he's saying. Oh, come to the table, right? Leave behind your regrets. Come. Luke 15 is probably the best uh, parable and, and, and passage of Scripture that, that returning to the Father can point us to. You've got the younger son who runs away from his father because of irreligiosity, because of the dirty dozen, the filthy five, the nasty nine, the sinful six, the awful eight. He runs away and, and he, he spends uh, his inheritance in loose living. He's the self-indulgent younger brother. I go to your Bibles. You look at your Bibles right now. I can tell you what the heading says and it's wrong. The heading says the parable of the prodigal son. No, it's not. It is the parable of the prodigal sons. There's two prodigal sons. The other son, quote unquote, never left home, but his heart was never with the father. And the older son is distant because of his self-righteousness and his self-reliance. The younger son is distant because of his irreligiosity. The older son is distant because of his religiosity. 
And the father has to leave the party that he threw for the younger son coming home. By the way, if you come home today, the father will throw a party. And there'll be some older brothers and sisters in this church that will be ticked that you can just so easily come home to the Father's open arms because after the life you've lived, how dare you think you can come home? But that is exactly what the Father says. And oh, by the way, if you are that crinkled up, rigid, miserable older brother or sister, you too can come home. And God will throw a party for you too. And you'll find that self-righteous, critical, judgmental heart become softened. So God is saying this part of renewal, come home. There's, there's nothing to keep you away. God's arms have never ceased being outstretched to you. And he's just saying, today, come home. Gather, turn, return. Fourthly, trust. Really incredible contrast between 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6 and 1 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6, the Philistines are still the enemy. The enemy hasn't changed. The enemy is pursuing Israel. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Israel turns to self-reliance. Israel turns to their own strength. The Philistines attack. Israel doesn't turn to God. They just say, hey, they're attacking us. Let's get it done. Let's get her done. You know, on our church, Cornerstones, we have uh, the sort of the, uh, the exclamations of the Reformation. We have sola fide, which means by grace alone. We have sola gratia, which means by grace alone. Uh, sola fide, by faith alone. And then we have sola scriptura, by the scriptures alone. And we joke around in this church that, that as Americans, we have added uh, uh, another call to the Reformation. And we call it sola bootstrapsa. Okay, sola bootstrapsa thankfully is not on one of our cornerstones, but sadly it's often on the cornerstone of our hearts. And that is we have a tendency to think the Christian life is we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And that's one of the reasons why we're not experiencing renewal. Now, God himself needs to be the one we look to. That's why it says in verse 3, direct your heart to the Lord, serve him only, and he will deliver you. What's the idol of your heart right now that you just can't seem to shake? And, and I would venture to guess that the idol you're thinking of, you've tried to shake. You wouldn't be here this morning being willing to hear God's word. If there aren't idols of your heart that you're aware of and you've tried to shake and you've been unable to get rid of. Well, God says, come to me and I will deliver you from your enemies. You see, in 1 Samuel 4, when the Philistines attacked, Israel just went out and tried to beat the Philistines and they were slaughtered, the Israelites were. Then they said, well, we need to get more religious. Let's bring the ark it's been magic in the past, and they said, let's get her done now, and they were slaughtered again. But here in 1 Samuel 7, look at verses 7 and 8. The Philistines went up against Israel, as before, and Israel became afraid, as before, but look what they did in verse 8 to Samuel. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us that he may save us. You see that? They're no longer trusting in themselves. Men and women of God, what's, going to, what's it going to take to break you? 
of self-reliance. What's it going to take to break you of Sola Bootstrapsa? It took 20 years of lamenting for the Israelites to be broken of Sola Bootstrapsa. Isaiah 30, 15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But, God said, you would have none of that. Instead, you said, I'm going to flee on my horses. Okay, God says, then you will flee. At the threat of one, 10,000 of you will run away. You said, rather than resting and trusting, you'll mount up on your horses. Okay? You'll mount up your horses and you'll be all alone. You'll be isolated. God's not being mean because the text ends with this. Yet the Lord longs and waits to be gracious to you. What's God waiting for? Surrender. Turning from sola bootstrapsa and casting ourselves helplessly upon the message of grace in the person of Christ. So in verse 9, Samuel takes a nursing lamb and offers it as a whole burnt offering. You can't miss that, folks, right? You can't miss that. A nursing lamb. Hello, what's that remind you of? The Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. God takes his own son and he offers them as a whole burnt offering on our behalf so that we might experience renewal, so that we might know we surely can trust God. Look, there may be things happening in your life that you're questioning whether God can even be trusted. All you got to do is look at the cross. Okay, the rest of your life may be chaos. It really may be, and I'm sorry. But the one thing that never changes is that cross. If you ever wonder whether God can be trusted, just keep looking at the cross. Gather, turn, return, trust, and then lastly, remember. This brings us to the key verse of the morning, Verse 12, Samuel took a stone. He called it Ebenezer because it means thus far to this point, to this place, God has helped us. Remember, all these things, even gathering, turning, returning, trusting, remember, it's all a result of the grace of God. It's all a result of being helped by God. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Prone to wander, yes. But remember, remember that God has promised to be our help. And in this passage, he does that. He thunders against the Philistines. He throws them into confusion, just like he threw the army of Egypt into confusion in the Red Sea. And people died, not because Israel was so strong, not because the church was so mighty, but because God was so faithful. 
and in your life, it's not going to change. You're not going to be renewed because you're so adept, you're so skilled, you're so smart, you're so knowledgeable, you're so obedient. No, we're going to experience renewal because God is so gracious. And his character is to help those who can't help themselves. It's another verse that we've popularized in America. You know, there's a whole bunch of Christians that actually think that's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's ridiculous. God helps those who know they can't help themselves. And that's what Ebenezer is, a monument to grace, to remember that though we're prone to wander, God is prone to help us. You know, there's one place in the New Testament where we're constantly called to remember. It's this table. When Jesus was passing out the bread at the Last Supper with the disciples in Luke 22, he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says Jesus distributed the bread, and then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And then when Jesus passed the cup, Paul says, do this in remembrance of me. This is actually a table of covenant renewal. Have we ever called it? I think we have. This is a table of covenant renewal. Okay, this is a table whereby God gives us visible signs and seals where he is renewing the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ with his children. In other words, if we've gotten to a place of doubt, a place of discouragement, a place of brokenness, a place of spiritual decay, God uses this table to preach to our souls afresh, I haven't moved. The, The covenant of grace is still there. All that this table represents is yours. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you now to set apart these elements from their common use. We understand that they remain bread and the fruit of the vine, but we pray you'll set them apart and you'll use them as aids to our faith, as power to change our hearts, to renew us that we might seek after your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.